0: Good morning and Merry Christmas to us all. I hope you've had a, a wonderful festive period that of course is not over and if you're off for the next few days spending time with friends and family, we pray that it'll be a blessed time for you that you have a fantastic new year in there as well. I'd like to open this morning at Matthew chapter 4, I explore a little bit, I think it, it's a great passage for us to come to at the end of the year as we reflect but also as we look forward into the next year. We're going to look from Matthew chapter 4 and we're going to read of the temptation of Jesus from verses 1 to 11. And it reads, the temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command... Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and we're ministering to him. Let's just pray. Our Lord and our God, in the busyness that surrounds us, would you still our hearts? Would you speak to each and every one of us this morning? Would you help us in this coming week to reflect on the ways in which we have glorified and honored your name in this last year, but also the ways in which we know we need to grow. in the ways in which we know we need more of your grace and mercy in our life. So that we may become mature believers. So that we may become people that are conformed more and more daily to the image of Christ. Amen. If you could take a tour over this last year and you could examine where you've spent your time, where you've spent your focus, where your emphasis has been and where your thoughts have been, I wonder what some of the prominent answers would be. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for tempting. He didn't stumble across Satan, but this was a scenario that was planned out by God. Why? Jesus was tempted so that every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth might know that Jesus Christ is the conqueror. So that Jesus could expose Satan and his tactics and show something of the greater victory that was to come on the cross. I think it's important as we come to this, to this passage, just as we consider for a moment the nature of Jesus as he came and faced Satan. We know, of course, that Jesus, both fully divine yet fully man, met Satan. And it's important that we understand that God met Satan here as a man, not just as the divine incarnate God. What we see in this is we don't see Jesus using his divine powers as God to overcome the enemy because that is what Satan wants him to do here. But actually, in this passage, Jesus used the spiritual resources that are available to us today. He used the power of the spirit and he used the power of the word. Do you know Jesus? Nothing in his nature that could give Satan a foothold, but still his temptations were very, very real. Because temptation involves the will. And we know that Christ came to do the will of the Father and nobody else's. I think it can be easy for us to think, well, of course Jesus resisted this. He's God. These weren't really temptations because, well, if I was God, I would able to resist these temptations too but it's important that we understand that this these are real temptations and the importance of that is it makes it relatable for us and actually it means that we have a God that understands what it is to go through really really hard things we see the number 40 in this passage there's a couple of things that are significant about this number 40 before we move into the three points here but all three scriptures that Jesus quotes from are in Deuteronomy and twice in Deuteronomy we find Moses fasting for 40 days the first obviously as he receives the 10 commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and interestingly here we have Jesus fasting for 40 days and the next day Or sometime after in Matthew chapter 5, we see the fulfillment of the law in the Sermon on the Mount. And then we see Moses fast as he comes down for another 40 days because he sees the golden calf and the idolatry of God's people. So he fasts for their sins. And then they send out the scouts for 40 days. They didn't believe they could overcome their inhabitants. They didn't have that faith. So they were sent for 40 years into the desert as a punishment for the rebellion. Do you know what's shown here? <coughs> Jesus is this fulfillment as this new Moses. It's like this perfect Israel that he suffered for the sins of his people, all people who come to faith in him. And we see this comparison unlike those Israelites who fell repeatedly in the desert. Jesus responds with the words that they should have responded with. So there are three temptations in here. Let's briefly go through the three of them. The first one, I think there are battles very clearly in each of these that just show us the battle that Satan is trying to bring to Jesus and Jesus' response. The first one here is Satan's call to him is be self-sufficient. And Jesus's response to him is no depend on God. From the second half of verse two to four, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I can't help but feel this phrase, he was hungry, is a colossal understatement. 40 days, Jesus would have been so weak. His body would have been struggling. The pain that he must have endured at those 40 days, I imagine, would be unbearable for the vast majority of us. But it is then, it is after those 40 days that Satan comes to him and says, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Why are you hungry? You are God. Come on, eat. We know Satan isn't an atheist. Satan is well aware of the divinity of Christ. He's well aware of who he is and what he is able to do. And he understands what it would mean if God himself would bow before him. Come on, Jesus. There's rocks here. You're hungry. Just turn them into bread. Just come and eat and everything will be okay. I wonder as we pause there, what is your f- reaction when temptation comes your way? Whether it be something you know you struggle with, something that comes out the blue, something that is frequent, I don't know. But what is your first reaction to temptation that comes your way? Jesus' first reaction in his temptation was to his father. His response to Satan is, we shall live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do we? Is that our desire in the face of temptation? Is the first thing that we do turn to our God and say, God, what do you have to say about this? God, what would you have me do in the midst of this temptation? How often do we look to God once we've exhausted our own strengths and our own Abilities, how often do we try and fight things ourselves and then we turn to God? But do you know what? It's not what Christ did. Christ turned to his father first because he came to do the will of the Father without hesitation. No matter how long we've been a Christian for, no matter how mature a believer we are, we all face temptation. There's nothing sinful about being tempted, but it's our response within that that is so important. I think it's interesting that Satan comes to Jesus at his absolute weakest. He comes to him at his almost breaking point of 40 days of a time when he is physically so vulnerable. But is that not also so relatable for us that Satan comes and tempts us tries to pull us away from God when we are in our lowest places, when we are most susceptible and when we're at our weakest. Eat, Jesus. Don't be hungry. Come on. You can do it. You've got the ability. Don't be hungry. It's right in front of you. Come and eat. Since you're God's beloved son, surely he wouldn't leave you without food. Surely your father would feed you. Why does he even put you in the wilderness? These thoughts that are being sown into the mind of Jesus by Satan here. And how similar is that to the temptation of Eve in Genesis? Come on. It's the suggestion here that the father doesn't love us. It's the suggestion to Jesus here that, you know what? Your father has abandoned you. This is what Satan does to us all the time. (coughs) for you. If things aren't good, if things aren't positive, surely God wants you to be happy. Surely this can't be God, because Satan is constantly looking to undermine God. The other suggestion Satan gives us here is use your divine powers to meet your own spiritual needs, is what he's putting on Jesus. When we put our physical needs before our spiritual needs, it mostly leads us to sin. When we allow our circumstances to dictate our actions instead of the will of God, it inevitably leads us to sin. We know for a fact that Jesus could have turned those stones into bread. But the issue is, he would have been exercising his power independently of the Father. He would have been disobeying the Father, and he came to obey the Father. I love those words. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three, we find that. We spend a lot of time eating, especially at this time of year. But do we spend a lot of time feeding ourselves on what comes from the mouth of God? Because Jesus did. How can we expect to grow in our holiness? How can we expect to move forward in our godliness? How can we expect to grow in righteousness and live within the will of God if we are not living from what God has given us to grow in these things? The reality of this is that we will not overcome temptation. We will not overcome what is in front of us. We will not grow as mature disciples of Jesus just by sitting in church once a week or saying grace before we eat. But we must be committed to the feeding of our souls every single day we must be committed to that in ourselves we must be committed to that in our families how committed are you how committed have you been this year to the feeding of your soul do you long to see yourself drawn closer and closer to cry? Do we desire to be a people that look to Christ over the temptation and the struggles that are in front of us? It is only faith in the one who has conquered this world. It is only faith in the one who overcame sin and lived obediently to God's will, to the Father's will that can make us right with God. I love the simplicity of what Jesus sets out for us, but Jesus uses truth to rebuke Satan. They weren't just words that he knew and he recited, but they were truths that he knew. They were things that he knew to be true. Don't rely on yourself, because we are weak and we will fail. That is the desire of Satan that we would be so self-sufficient we would have no reason for God. That you would constantly fail and constantly give in to temptation. But Christ came to the Father. We must turn to God in our wilderness and in our struggle. Secondly, Satan says to Jesus, prove yourself. But Jesus responds, trust in God. Verses five to seven. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone.'" Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The second temptation is more subtle than the first. This time Satan uses the word of God to come back to Jesus. He's saying, okay, so you intend to live by the scriptures. That's fine. Then let me quote you a verse. Let me come back to you and see if you will obey it. So here we have Satan and Jesus standing at the pinnacle of the temple, probably four or 500 feet up above the Kidron Valley. And Satan here quotes for us Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12, where God promises to care for your own, for his own. And he says, you know what, if you really believe this, go and jump. If the Father really cares for you, go for it. It doesn't matter because he will protect you. And I love Jesus' response. You can almost detect the annoyance in his voice here, but he says, again, it is written. Let me set you right, again. Let me repeat myself. Let me tell you the truth here. And what this teaches us, what's really important, is that we never take one part of the Bible and separate it from the rest, because we are to compare spiritual things with the spiritual do you know, we can prove almost anything by taking an isolated text from the Bible, removing it from its context, reading things into it. And that's exactly what Satan does here. He removes the words in all your ways, which are rather important. The verses actually read, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone what this is telling us what psalm 91 gives us is that a child of god that is walking in the will of god will be protected by god but satan removes he removes in his ways in the ways of god and actually what satan's asking him to do is a complete contradiction of those verses in context and again we see jesus's response this time deuteronomy chapter 6 Verse 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In Exodus 17, the Israelites failed to trust God, and they tested him. The people said to Moses, Moses, there's no water here. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Do you want to kill our children? Do you want to kill our animals? The people failed to trust And God. Instead they came to test God. But again we are told do not tempt God. But how easy it can be for us to do. Do you know again Satan wants us to be self dependent? He wants us to rely on ourselves so there is no need for God. But the call of Christ to each of us is not to test God, but to trust in God. And how we know that that is easier at some times than others. How hard we know it can be to trust God when we have not a clue what His will is that is in front of us. We cannot make sense of the circumstances that surround us. And then ask that question do you find yourself in the middle of that wilderness this morning? Do you find yourself in a place of desperation, of struggle, of temptation? When we find ourselves in those places, it is hard for us to hear the words, trust in God. But do you know what? The beauty of this, the beauty of Christmas, Emmanuel, God is with us, is that God is with us in that wilderness. That God is with us in those moments of temptation. That God is with us at our weakest points. And in every wilderness, God is present. God is with us in our mess. He is with us in our temptations. He is with us in our wilderness. And thirdly, in verses 8 to 11, Satan says, worship me. Christ says, worship God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I give you, if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Satan offers Jesus a shortcut to his kingdom here. Jesus knew that he was going to suffer and he was going to die before he entered into his kingdom. And here's probably a fairly attractive proposition. Bow down before me, worship me, and you know what? You can enjoy all that glory. You can enjoy everything that's promised to you without enduring any suffering. You don't even have to go and do miracles and all those things that are to come, but just bow before me now. Satan always wants worship. Isaiah 14 tells us. Satan wants to be God. He wants to see us worship creature rather than the creator. And Satan puts before Jesus this shortcut. But Jesus knows that there is no shortcut to the will of God. The truth remains for all of us that if we want to share in that glory, we must also share in that suffering. Just as the prince of this world thought he could offer all of the kingdoms to Christ. But Jesus didn't need that offer. Not that there was any validity to it anyway. But the father had promised Jesus the kingdom. And we find his response in Deuteronomy 6.13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. Satan doesn't say anything about service in this. But Jesus responds with it. Because Jesus knows that what we worship we serve. These two things go together. Whatever we praise. Whatever we put at the center of our lives. Inevitably that is what we serve. We serve what is most important to us. These two things are inseparable. We can't fill ourselves with one thing and be doing something else, but inevitably those things work out together. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And Satan slithered away. A defeated enemy. But we know that he didn't give up. We know that through Peter again, Satan tempts Jesus to abandon the cross. But even for Jesus, that victory never guaranteed freedom from further temptation while he was here on earth. If anything, victory over temptation in, in certain situations and circumstances makes Satan try harder. I just want to focus on those words that you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. In this past year, has your life been a living sacrifice of worship? And service to God. Has your worship been wholehearted? Has your life been marked with prayer and the study of His Word? Has the worship of God been central to your life for no other reason than he is worthy? Matthew six twenty four: no one can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He offers the example, Jesus offers the example of money in here, but we know that anything can be a master to us. Jesus couldn't serve his father and give in to the temptation of Satan because he was the sinless one, incapable of serving two masters. As we look and reflect on this past year, for some of us it has been a rough, rough year. For some of us, it has been a year of great encouragement and great blessing. Some of us have known great loss. Some of us have known the joy of new life. And as a church family, we all feel that. We all know what it is to, to, to suffer, but also to rejoice. This call of Jesus is real. The, the wilderness that we face is real, that each and every one of us, in whatever way it may be, however we find ourselves, however things affect us, can we in that say, I will trust in God? Can we see through the mess? Can we see through the stuff that makes no sense? And can we stand as Jesus stood there before Satan And say, I will worship the Lord my God, and I will serve him and him only. We are called to be a people that are growing. We are called to be a people that are becoming more and more established in the faith. What a great declaration it would be for us to say as we enter into this next year, yes, I want to grow in my holiness. I want to grow in my godliness and I want to grow in my righteousness this year. The words of Hebrews 2 verse 18 sum up this temptation so well. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted tempted. This is the great hope for this year ahead. Just because Jesus doesn't walk walk this earth here with us now does not mean that he has abandoned us. Because through his spirit he is ever present here with us. Jesus' first response in all three of these situations was to turn to the Father. That's my prayer for each of us this year. That that would be our first port of call. Whether it be trivial, whether it be massive, whatever it may be, whether the good or the bad or anything in between, would we be a people that are marked by our turning to God? Let us turn to God in our need and our struggle and our temptation. Why? Because we can't help ourselves. Have you ever tried not to sin? Have you ever gone to bed and said, tomorrow I'm not going to do that? How long has that ever lasted? It doesn't. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I love that. That at the very, one of the very weakest points that Christ had here on earth, he was still powerful enough to defeat Satan. But, you know, the suffering that he faced here dwarfs into comparison of the weight of the sin and shame that he took to Calvary so that you and I might be free from our temptation and sin once and for all. Sadly, we still live with the consequences of our sinfulness here on earth, but we know that that will not happen for eternity, that we will spend eternity with Christ in the place that is free from all sin and shame. The Israelites failed time and time again. And Moses wept and he fasted for his people. And here we see Jesus, the one who pays the ultimate price for our sins. The one who was tempted to the biggest extent, but did not sin. He did not leave God. But instead he honored God using the words that the Israelites should have used. Jesus won. Jesus defeated sin. And all of this we see in his final victory on the cross. As you look back on this year, can you see your growth in holiness, in godliness, in your hatred for sin, in your love of righteousness in 2019? The good news is, if the answer is no, that doesn't have to mark this next year. My prayer for all of us is in this next year that we would grow in our holiness and our godliness and our hatred of sin and our love of righteousness. Let's be a people that put God first before all. If Jesus needed the Father in those moments, how much more do we need our God to be with us? Let's pray. Father, we picture your son after 40 days and 40 nights in that desert, a weak man, a physically struggling man and he has met with such great temptation. He has met with temptation that none of us would be able to bear. But yet Christ stood and was victorious. Christ lived within your will so that we might be set free. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for all that he has done for us. We thank you for the ultimate work of Calvary, for the fact that he came into this world and died on that tree so that we might know you and that we might be free. God, you are so, so good to us. And God, our prayer is that in the wilderness, in the struggle and in the difficulty, would we be able to declare that my trust is in you and is in you alone? Would we be a people marked by our trust in you? Not in things of this world, not by the things that surround us, not by our circumstances, but would we be marked ultimately by our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen.